Welcome back to the 49ers You Got Mail podcast, sponsored by Manscaped. In this week's pod, we are joined by Chris Biederman of the Sacramento Bee, covering the 49ers for a pretty good chunk of time. So he has a pretty good pulse on the team and what we're looking out of or looking for out of this team, especially coming off of that win in Detroit, heading into Philadelphia. Chris, I don't know about you, but coming off of that game, even though it was a win, a little bit of it felt like a loss. How did that feel to you watching that game? Yeah, you know, I, I would agree. When you're up 41-17 with, with two minutes left, you should win by a lot more than eight, right? And I think Debo Samuel said it best after the game when he said that Kyle Shanahan sort of asked the team how they felt about the win and everybody was was sort of silent in, in the postgame locker room. And so, you know, to me, I think a lot of that has to do with Jason Verrett's injury. Um, and just the team sort of having the wind taken out of its sails a little bit in the fourth quarter because of that injury, because of how widely respected Verrett is as a leader in that locker room and obviously how important he is to that defense, given he was, you know, the team's number one cornerback. So um, I think there was a lot of good to take away from the game. The fact that the 49ers went on the road and blew out a team for three and a half quarters, I, I think is positive. And, and there's a lot of positive to take away from the offense. But, you know, it didn't it, it, it can't feel great from the 49ers perspective to allow um, Detroit to come back in that game and make it interesting with, you know, the muffed extra or the muffed um, onside kick and then Debo Samuels fumble and then the defense uh, not not stopping the Lions really at any point in that fourth quarter. And then Kyle Shanahan talking about his substitution patterns and um, pulling starters too early because he was scared of uh, of getting more guys hurt. So, you know, I think ultimately there are positives to take away. A win on the road in the NFL is is always a good thing, no matter who the competition is. But right. you do want to finish games, and the 49ers are not going to be able to play like that and, and continue to win games against better opponents because they're not going to have leads like that too often going into fourth quarters. Yeah, and I want to talk a little bit more about the injuries here in just a second, but I want to stick with – a little bit of what we saw in week one, you know, 49ers had at one point at that 28 point lead, you got to see that offense really get going. Uh, something that a lot of people criticize coming into the season, 49ers defense, I, despite, you know, being thin in certain situations or in certain areas on the roster, uh, being able to step up. But what was your biggest takeaway from the game? When you look at the game overall, uh, whether it, it's good, bad, ugly, what was your biggest takeaway? Yeah, I, I think it was the way Jimmy Garoppolo played, right? Because you remember how Jimmy Garoppolo's played in week ones of seasons past, and it just hasn't been that great. You go back to 2018 in Minnesota, he threw a pick six in that game. And you go back to 2019 in Tampa Bay, he threw a pick six in that game. Um, and last year against Arizona, he wasn't particularly sharp, although the 49ers were we're down a bunch of receivers and George Kittle got hurt in that game and it was a little bit weird, but the point stands, right? Jimmy Garoppolo being sharp in week one is is a pretty promising development given what he's looked like in week ones and seasons past. So um, the fact that, you know, Trey Lance may or may not be nipping at his heels or, you know, maybe Kyle Shanahan's looking for an excuse to give Trey Lance more playing time. I think, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo averaging 12.6 yards per attempt um, and being really efficient and not throwing any interceptable passes mm -hmm. is a big takeaway because this is this is uh, a season in which there's a ton of pressure on Jimmy Garoppolo for not only his job in the immediate future, but maybe the, the next four or five years of his career, um, given what the 49ers did in making that investment in Trey Lance. So Jimmy Garoppolo um, having a 314 yard game, completing 68 percent of his throws. 
um, connecting on a, on a deep pass downfield to Debo Samuel while taking a big hit. Um, and like I said, not turning the ball over, uh, I think is, is a really promising development for, for him and the 49ers, because if, you know, if, if you look at the 49ers and what might be an issue for them this season coming in, it was that, well, can Jimmy Garoppolo elevate his game to the next level to where he's not turning the ball over and to where, you know, if the defense takes a step back with Richard Sherman no longer on the team and DeForest Buckner with the Indianapolis Colts, can Jimmy Garoppolo elevate his play and lift the 49ers in a way he did at times throughout 2019, right? So if Jimmy Garoppolo continues playing at this clip, I think it's going to be harder and harder for Trey Lance to get time. Um, and it's going to be, you know, pushing Trey Lance's eventual starting job might get pushed down the road a little bit, uh, a little bit more than I guess me and and I'm sure some other people anticipated. So for me, the big takeaway was just how sharp Jimmy Garoppolo was in week one compared to how he's looked in week ones uh, in past seasons. Yeah. Underrated storyline right there. Just looking at Jimmy's uh quality of play I, I believe it was like almost going into the half he was absolutely perfect on the day I know he uh, connected on eight straight passes uh like you said no interceptable throws um made but look good look decisive and I think a lot goes to what Kyle Shanahan said earlier this offseason how he looked confident how he came in and how he approached this offseason so I uh, got to see a lot of that on Sunday and hopefully rolling over into week two, which now just threw a question in my mind. But as we're on the topic of quarterbacks, you got to see Trey Lance. I believe those four total snaps. He had a uh, that one touchdown throw and a couple of carries, a couple of uh, options there. But do you foresee Kyle Shanahan sticking with what they did in week one, kind of implementing him in the offense a little bit? Or, or how do you kind of see this playing out over the season? Yeah, you know, it's it's clearly one of the biggest questions of the entire season. And, and without being able to see practice anymore, it's really tough to say, right? Like, we don't know if Kyle Shanahan only gave Trey Lance four snaps because he missed that time going into week one because he jammed his finger in the preseason finale and, and you know, chipped a, a little bone in his, in his pointer finger and his throwing hand. Like, if he were completely healthy and that hadn't happened, would he have played 10 snaps? You know, would... Would Kyle Shanahan have mixed him in even more, and and would he be more of a threat as a passer? Um, that those are questions that that we don't really have the answers to, and so that's something that is going to be interesting going into this week because really Trey Lance represents an ace in the hole for Kyle Shanahan. He can completely change the offense and completely change um, the rhythm of a game if he needs to by inserting Trey Lance at quarterback. And you know whether it's just running zone read stuff, whether it's third and short, and you have you know, a receiver coming in motion and then a fake to a running back the other way. And then Trey Lance hitting the hole. Like there are a lot of different options uh, you can, in, in terms of plays you can run for Kyle Shanahan with Trey Lance. And so um, to me, like it, it's the question I have is just how much did that injury impact the, the planning or is Trey Lance just not up to speed enough for Kyle Shanahan to insert him more than four snaps. And so there's there's sort of this delicate balance that Kyle Shanahan's trying to find, right, throughout the season. It's that the 49ers are believe they're Super Bowl contenders, but they also are trying to develop Trey Lance um, for the future. So that means getting him in games, getting him in situationally, but also trying to win games and not upset the apple cart, particularly if Jimmy Garoppolo is playing well. So um, you know, I, I think what we haven't seen it yet because the offense was pretty sharp in Detroit and the 49ers didn't need a change of pace or didn't need to to throw a wrench in the game script because things were going well. So if, in Philadelphia, if things don't go well, 
what's that look like, right? Does does Kyle Shanahan go to Trey Lance maybe for a series just to give the defense a different look, to add a different wrinkle to the running game and force guys uh, to make adjustments on the fly? Uh, I think that's a really interesting caveat and a, a really interesting um, card Kyle Shanahan has in his hand, right? So he can play that whenever he wants. And because we're not able to see practice, we don't really know what that's going to look like. But it wouldn't surprise me at all if Trey Lance gets more and more playing time as the season goes on, unless Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, continues to average 12 and a half yards per attempt. And, and if he's doing that and playing that efficiently and the offense is moving like it was in Detroit, then, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo might might be a pro bowler and it might be really hard to take him off the field. So that's certainly an interesting question going into week two and beyond. It's a, a good problem, essentially, for Kyle Shanahan to have, to have Jimmy Garoppolo playing at the level that he is. And you have this young talent that, you know, has a completely different skill set and can be used in a multitude of ways. So uh, it'll definitely be something that we'll be keeping our eye out on, especially in week two and how Jimmy Garoppolo puts up an encore performance. But I'm going to jump to a fan question. I got one from Roger Rubio from Delano. Wants to know, what are some weaknesses that you feel that this team might need to tighten up this week in order to be successful against a tough Philly team? We got to see what Philly did uh, in week one against the Atlanta Falcons. I want to talk about that game here in a bit. But just looking at what we saw in week one, um, I know one thing that I could throw out would be obviously against that run game, what we got mm -hmm. to see out of DeAndre Swift in week one. But how about you, Chris? Was there anything that stood out to you that 49ers might need to tweak heading into this game with, um, dare I say it, a, a mobile quarterback, uh, something that 49ers have had a little bit of problems with in the past? Yeah, they I mean, the, the, the interesting thing about this game is I think the Eagles represent um, they have strengths where the 49ers might be weak in a few different areas. Right. Like Fletcher Cox against Daniel Brunskill at right guard probably favors the Eagles. And so you remember that game early last season. Trent Williams didn't have his best game. Mike McGlinchey didn't have his best game. So that defensive line was really a problem for the 49ers. And I know they're playing Nick Mullen, so it's an entirely different situation. Um, but the point stands like the Eagles defensive front is potentially a big problem and it's going to test a 49ers offensive line that played really well against against Detroit in week one. There's also um, the issue at cornerback, right? Like Devontae Smith and Jalen Rager looked like really tough covers against the Falcons. And now you have a 49ers team that's going to be without its top cornerback and Jason Verrett. Um, it doesn't look like Emmanuel Mosley is going to play on Sunday, although that remains to be seen. If he isn't, it's probably going to be Diamador Lenore. And then it's anybody's guess, right? Is it going to be Josh Norman? Is it going to be Drake Kirkpatrick? Is it going to be, you know, Dante Johnson or Ambry Thomas, neither of whom played particularly well in that fourth quarter against Detroit? Um, so the receivers could be a matchup issue. And you mentioned the running game. Uh, what's going to happen with Javon Kinlaw? I saw he returned to practice today. I think he's going to be limited um, coming off that knee injury that prevented him from playing in the first week. I think he's really important for their run defense. And the 49ers allowed 4.8 yards per carry against Detroit, which was, you know, ranked 26 among defenses from week one. And obviously um, that's that could be problematic against Miles Sanders and Kenneth Gainwell. Um, and you mentioned like the issue against mobile quarterbacks, the 49ers over the last few years have struggled to contain mobile quarterbacks. And so um, that is a, a is another potential concern. And and the other thing just about this game is like it's in Philadelphia. It's their home opener. They have great yeah. fans. They they didn't they weren't in the stadium last year because of the pandemic. They're probably really fired up based on how the team played in Atlanta. So it's just going to be a tough atmosphere, right? Like Detroit was probably a tough atmosphere too, but 
this is uh, Eagles fans are just an entirely different breed, right? Like they're, they've booed Santa Claus and, you know, thrown batteries at Santa Claus and all that stuff, those superlatives that you can talk about with them, but it's going to be a hostile environment. The 49ers are going to be tested in a bunch of different ways. Um, And so I think it's going to be a challenging game. I think they're the better team and they probably should win, but uh, it's not going to be as easy as maybe we thought it was um, coming into the season when we looked at the schedule and said, Oh, Philadelphia, not coming off a great year. There are questions at quarterback. Do they have enough youth on the roster? I think they they answered some of those questions with their pretty decisive victory in Atlanta on the road week one. So they look like a tougher opponent than I guess we anticipated. So I'm looking at cornerback offensive line and uh, and the Eagles offensive line is also really good too. And and that's the 49ers strength defensively, their defensive line. So that's going to be a really interesting matchup as well. Manscaped is the official below-the-waist grooming partner of the 49ers. Try Manscaped and get 20% off and free shipping with code 49ers at manscaped.com. That's code 49ers for 20% off at manscaped.com. Yeah, I feel like I could take this a number of ways. Um, I wanted to to kind of put a put a hold on kind of analyzing what we saw out of that game, but I feel like it's a good time to just go to it now when you watch this Philly Atlanta game uh, that we saw in week one, how much of it, in your opinion, is it Philly is looking pretty good? I mean, especially when you're considering uh, the competition in the NFC East, how much of it is Philadelphia looking good with Jalen Hurts, with that O-line and with that D-line and with uh, their crop of skill players compared to Atlanta maybe just played pretty poorly. How do you balance out what we saw in week one? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both, right? I think you look at what the Eagles did offensively. The running game got going. They were targeting the tight ends. Um, they did some bubble screens and and got some of their receivers open in space. Uh, I, I think Nick Sirianni, you know, there was a lot of talk about his press conference and, you know, their first year coach. Um, I, I think he's he might be a better offensive mind than a lot of us anticipated, just based on the way he used his skill players and and put guys in position to succeed and sort of created an offense tailored to their guys' skill sets. And I think that includes Jalen Hurts, who's, you know, you can put on the move a little bit in the running game and zone read stuff. You can you can roll them out similar to what Kyle Shanahan likes to do on with, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo and his quarterbacks um, from time to time. So I think the Eagles came in with a really good game plan. I think they know I think Sirianni knows how to utilize his talent. I also think Atlanta might just not be that great. Right. Like they're they were in the same boat in terms of, you know, playing playing their first game with a first time head coach. And they just look disorganized, right? Like they didn't look particularly effective offensively. Matt Ryan, um, you know, averaged just 4.7 yards per attempt. He was sacked three times. Atlanta's defense didn't look particularly good. Um, and so, you know, I, I think it's it's a combination of the Falcons being underprepared, the Falcons not having the best plan going in, and the, and the Eagles conversely having a really good plan and playing pretty well and thus winning 32 to six on the road. So I think it's a combination of both. Um, but you know, this is this 49ers team I think is a lot better than Atlanta. Um, so we'll see if the Eagles are able to play as well and, and dictate things uh, as much as they did uh, on Sunday, because the 49ers are simply a, a much more talented team than Atlanta right now. And, you know, this is the fifth year of Kyle Shanahan and the, the foundation has been in place. The players have been in place for a while. So it's going to be a much more difficult task for Philadelphia, even though they are playing at home. But to answer your question, I think it's 
I think that game was a factor of both. I think it, the Eagles were playing well. They were organized and the Falcons just got off to a, a pretty poor start with their first year head coach. All right. So I want to jump into um, you. You talked a little bit earlier about just kind of the challenges that the 49ers are going to be dealing with. And a lot of that is due to injury. Um Obviously, we know the news about Raheem Mostert uh, initially was going to be uh, eight weeks out. Instead, he posted on his social media that he is going to undergo surgery that is going to take him out for the rest of the season. So 49ers without Raheem Mostert uh, for the season. Jason Verrett with that ACL injury, absolute heartbreaker. Um, so you'll be without him for the season. Uh, news just released that Dre Greenlaw will be having groin surgery, so you'll be missing him. It's not a season ender, but uh, you will be missing him for a couple of weeks. But just looking at just these three names that we're talking about, uh, just coming out of week one alone, do you see these injuries as situations that essentially hurt the 49ers Super Bowl aspirations? I know a lot of people had the 49ers as one of those potential teams that could more than likely be one of those seven teams to make the postseason in the NFC and one of four essentially from the NFC West, looking at how that division looks, but looking at some of these names, looking at the depth at some of these positions, how do you view what's transpired in the long term? Yeah, I, I think what happened at cornerback was problematic. And and you know, I think it, it was fair to go into the season questioning the 49ers depth of that position. Um, because we saw it. it. It showed up week one. You lose Jason Verrett. You don't have Emmanuel Mosley. And both guys have dealt with injury issues in the past. And so you don't really have a great plan behind them on the roster at the moment. You have Diamador Lenore, a fifth round rookie who's, who played really well in the preseason and who played really well against Detroit, albeit against one of, uh, I would I would say it's fair to, to call Detroit having one of the least talented receiving cores in the, in the entire league. So, you know, I guess the jury's still out on how, how much you can trust Diamador Lenore against top-level competition. But, you know, you look at the NFC West, there are a lot of good receivers the 49ers are going to have to cover, right? Like you have DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett in Seattle. You have Cooper Cup and, and Robert Woods in L.A. And you have DeAndre Hopkins and A.J. Green in Arizona. Like, it, it's those are really, really tough matchups for the 49ers cornerbacks based on how the group is is created right now. So I think... That's really problematic in terms of talking about the 49ers as a Super Bowl contender because, yeah, like their defensive line and, and the way they can pressure quarterbacks could potentially make up for some issues that they have in the secondary. But I think overall you're looking at a scenario where the 49ers probably need to make a trade at the trade deadline to reinforce that spot similar to what they did with their receiving core in 2019 when they went out and got Emmanuel Sanders. Now, I don't know if there's going to be a player of Sanders caliber at cornerback that they can just go and get and insert into the starting lineup and feel great about going up against all those talented receivers in the NFC West. I just listed off, but I think that's, you know, that's an indictment you can make on the front office from this offseason is just, they didn't have enough, enough depth or enough talent, at least right now at cornerback in, in case you did deal with injuries because your plan with, with Jason Verrett and Emmanuel Mosley is, you know, we're, we're trusting these guys despite their pretty lengthy injury histories, right? So Emmanuel Mosley coming back from his knee injury, I don't know if it's going to be Sunday in Philadelphia. I think he's, he's still day to day, according to Kyle Shanahan. So that remains a, a pretty big concern. And, you know, we haven't seen Josh Norman at all. He didn't participate in training camp. So we don't know what he looks like playing 11 on 11 football. Obviously he didn't play in the preseason either. 
Um, so these are pretty significant question marks. And so it's there that that puts a lot of pressure on the 49ers defensive line to bother opposing quarterbacks. And you have Nick Bosa, who played really well in, in Detroit, but he is coming off an ACL tear. You have D Ford, who also played really well in Detroit, but he's coming off a, a series of back injuries, including, you know, the one that kept him out of the final 15 games last year. That was pretty significant. Um, and you have Javon Kinlaw, their first round pick from last season, who's still dealing with the knee injury. So um, I think, you know, the 49ers, if everybody's healthy and they can maximize their ceiling, I think they're certainly in that in that conversation to be one of the best teams in the NFC. But as we know, um, injuries can be a, 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 a bear for this team. And we saw in 2020 injuries basically derailed their entire season. So um, the questions about depth will remain until these guys like Diamador Lenore and Ambry Thomas, potentially, if, if these guys can come in and play at a high level against some really good competition, then certainly you'll feel better about where they're at in, in, in terms of their cornerback situation. But for now, those guys are largely unproven, and it's really hard to feel confident about them going against Seattle and Arizona and L.A. based on how well they all played offensively in week one. So I think if I think that's ultimately going to be the biggest impediment to the 49ers contending for for, you know, the the Super Bowl again is is just that cornerback group and whether or not they can add somebody at the deadline and, and get a competent starter that they feel comfortable with. Yeah. Um, you answered a question from Robert Hogan. He wanted to know who's the next man up for the 49ers after Jason Verrett's knee injury. And you talked a little bit about these guys, uh, Diamador Lenore. You talked about Josh Norman, Drake Kirkpatrick. Um, some of these names that could step up. I know they had Dante Johnson, who uh, has been promoted from uh, practice squad to active roster. But a question from Blake Salza from Visalia, California. Uh, as how has Josh Norman looked, at least in your eyes, and do you expect him or Drake Kirkpatrick, who the 49ers signed uh, a free agent this past week, to have a larger role this Sunday? Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, I guess we can really only go off the word of of Kyle Shanahan and, and because we get to watch, you know, the first few minutes of practice, um, but not any team drills. So it's really hard to say, hard to hard to base an opinion off somebody in individual drills when, um, you know, they're sort of working on fundamentals and not going full speed and things like that. But, you know, Kyle Shanahan said going into last week that Josh Norman could have played and and could have uh, he showed enough to the coaches and and the training staff, I guess, that that he was capable of playing 40 or 50 snaps if needed. So I would imagine that that's even more likely this week. And just given that, you know, I, I know the, these aren't receivers that he's gone against recently, but he's familiar with the with the. Uh, uh, NFC East having played with Washington, right? So um, there, there is a little bit of a familiarity factor there going into this week and the fact uh, that the 49ers are playing an NFC East opponent. So there, there's something there. Um, I, I'll be interested to see, right? Because Norman's 33. He didn't participate in training camp or a preseason, and he would be going against receivers who are 11 years younger than him and Devontae Smith and Jalen Rager, potentially. And Quez Watkins, who you know ran a 4-2 or something like that before the draft. Um, so Norman, like Richard Sherman, not a speedy guy, but a heady player who, um, relies on length and, and his knowledge of route trees and, um, tendencies and all that stuff. That's, that's sort of the type of player Josh Norman is, but he's pretty far removed from the best years of his career, which came really in like 2015 and 2016 when he was with Carolina. Um, and the fact that he was unavailable 
or he was available and not signed by somebody before training camp, whereas training camp started sort of speaks for itself, right? And just in terms of the demand for him throughout the league. And so um, I, I do think that he's primed. He's going to, he's the one I've sort of circled for, for more of a prominent role because, because of his experience, because of his pedigree, um, I, I think he's he's going to be the one that that you kind of need to count on because we saw it from Ambry Thomas and Dante Johnson against a not so great Lions team um, that, you know, they they simply were not super effective in the fourth quarter of that game. So um, I think Josh Norman is going to be the guy if Emmanuel Mosley isn't up. Um, if, if Mosley is up, then he would be that guy that you would count on as sort of your number one cornerback. I think Diamador Lenore is still going to play a lot. He'll probably start opposite whoever the other guy is going to be. But in in my opinion, I think that would be Josh Norman most likely. But I, we haven't seen him practice. And I'm sure position coach Corey Unlin will go with the guy who's had the best week of practice because he's got to be looking at it like a competition at this point. This podcast is sponsored by Manscaped, the official below-the-waist grooming partner of the 49ers. Try Manscaped and get 20% off and free shipping with code 49ers at manscaped.com. That's code 49ers for 20% off at manscaped.com. I want to just briefly touch on the running back position. I know we talked a little bit about Raheem Mostert and his injury and what that means uh, to this team, so I'm going to kind of go through these fairly uh, quickly, but... Uh, Craig Robinson wants to know, is Trey Sermon the backup? I'm going to answer this really briefly. And if you want to add anything, Chris, you're more than welcome to. But I, I really find it hard to call there a, you know, I guess you would say Raheem Mostert's that number one, and then you have your backup. But the way Kyle Shanahan uses his running backs, I never really can call who is the backup running back. It, he usually goes with the guy that has the hot hand. Um, I wouldn't call anybody, to be honest. I would call them all the backup. Um because I, it all can completely vary, but uh, Chris, you got anything on that one? Yeah, I, I think you're, you're completely right in saying he likes to go with the hot hand. I, I think it's, it's also matchup and, and scheme dependent, right? Like what's the game plan going to look like against the Eagles defense and that we won't know until Sunday. So it could be that Trey Sermon ends up leading the 49ers and carries Sunday or Trey Sermon's active and only plays on special teams, right? Like this is, this is all unknown. And and when you look at, you know, I, I, I've said this a few different times in a few different places, like one of the most frustrating things about covering Kyle Shanahan is, is trying to figure out who is run, who is lead running backs are going to be. Um, and to, and the last couple of years, it's been Raheem Mostert because he's clearly differentiated himself from the rest of the group, but he's dealt with injuries and, you know, the 49ers have had four different leading rushers in Kyle Shanahan's four seasons. You had Carlos Hyde in 2017. You had Matt Breed in 2018. Um, you had Mostert in 2019. And then last year was Jeff Wilson Jr. Uh, so it is really hard to say. But I would I would guess, based on what happened Sunday in Detroit, that Elijah Mitchell would be the first guy to get carries, the starter, probably the guy who's going to get the most carries. And then the rest of it is is going to be scheme dependent. Like, is does Kyle Shanahan see something from the Eagles' defense that might make them susceptible to inside and power runs? And if that's the case, that's probably where Trey Sermon fits in. If Kyle Shanahan um, prefers, you know, to use a guy in the passing game, maybe that's Jamichael Hasty, who is who is the third down back in, uh, against Detroit. So. Um, it's it's all very much up in the air, and and I would love to be a fly on the wall in in the offensive meeting room because I would imagine that's a fascinating conversation between Shanahan and Bobby Turner and and Mike McDaniel week in and week out because 
of just the way they vary the way they approach the running back group. So um, Sermon being inactive was was definitely a surprise on Sunday. But I would imagine just given the fact, you know, the 49ers traded a pair of fourth round picks to trade up for Sermon. So clearly they value him and they like him. Um, so I would imagine he's going to have a big role at, at some point. And Kyle Shanahan has pointed out, like they've used four running backs just about every season he's been there. So, um, you know, Sermon's going to have a big role. I just don't know if it's going to be Sunday in in, uh, in Philadelphia. There's certainly a possibility. And I think Kyle Shanahan likes to keep all of us guessing because if we're all guessing, then surely opposing defensive coordinators are guessing. So one thousand percent. That's that's definitely one. That's Kyle Shanahan relishes all that uncertainty from the outside for sure. Yeah. And uh, I'm got to jump to this question. And I, I it's honestly, if you get on Instagram, you're on Twitter, you're in on YouTube, you hear this a million and one times, and I'm going to put you on the spot and have you answer this question. But uh, our good friend, Faithful Hodge, uh, wants to know what are the odds that the 49ers sign future Hall of Fame and 49ers legend Frank Gore? He said, give me the inconvenient truth, please. <laughs> Man, um, it's hard to say. Like I I think Frank Gore, whenever he decides to retire, is going to retire a 49er. Like he's going to come back. There's going to be a press conference. He's it's going to be a very lovey-dovey affair just because he's still one of the most revered players, I think, in team history. And I'm sure you could speak to that being a part of the organization and knowing what those relationships are like with Frank Gore and a bunch of people still in that building. But in terms of his fit with this current team, I don't know that I necessarily see it. I, I think Frank Gore is a very patient sort of power style runner, and the 49ers running backs are, are mostly speed guys who are, you know, one cut and go. Um, that's certainly what Raheem Mostert and Elijah Mitchell are. I think Trey Sermon might have a little bit more Frank Gore type running style in his game, um, but I just don't know that Frank Gore really fits the type of offense the 49ers are running. Now, they. They've incorporated some power stuff into their offense, I think, particularly in 2019, um, just to, you know, throw a wrinkle against defenses that they weren't expecting because the 49ers are, are so widely known as a as a wide zone running team. Um, but in terms of what they're doing right now and how Frank Gore might fit in with the running backs, I just don't know that he's an easy fit. Um, I know fans would love it. I know a lot of people in the building would love it. Uh, but I just don't know if if Frank Gore at this point in his career uh, makes a lot of sense for the 49ers. But like I said, I I, I fully envision him um, retiring as a 49er whenever he does decide to hang him up. And I've and I'm definitely expecting number 21 to be up um, at Levi's Stadium, along with all the other honor numbers among you know, on, on that sweet tower on the on the west side of the stadium. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Faithful Hodge wanted your inconvenient truth, and that was from Chris Biederman himself. All right, uh, two quick ones just so we can get you out of here. Uh, Marshall Arroyo wants to know, will the secondary do a better job to play the ball and the defense to tackle better? I believe that's the goal for the 49ers each and every season. Do uh, you have anything there, Chris? I mean, anytime there's a missed tackle, you want to tackle better. Um, anytime – you know, the ball's in the air, you want to play it. So yeah, I, I think I, I think that's certainly something that they focus on all the time. Um, you know, you, they're not trying to give up receptions, right? They they they, <laughs> they work on this uh, all week. It's it's sort of like, you know, when, when players get asked, are you emphasizing turnovers this week? And they always say we emphasize turnovers every week. I would add tackling and, 
and playing the ball, you know, under that same umbrella. So, yeah, I think that's always going to be a goal. And, and we'll just have to see if they can do it because it is going to be really important for them to cover and, and um, you know, to cover receivers going forward, just given that, the, you know, the apparent weakness at cornerback that we've talked about after losing uh, – after losing Jason Verrett for the season and still waiting on Emmanuel Mosley to come back with that knee injury. So certainly the pass defense is going to be a big focus for this, for the 49ers as, as the season rolls on, as it should be. And last thing, just before I let you go, the 49ers obviously preparing for Jalen Hurts. We talked about him being a mobile quarterback. We have two very, very good D lines going head to head. Overall, Chris Biederman, before I let you go, just give us your matchup that you were looking forward to most on Sunday. What would it be? How about Darius Slay, the Eagles cornerback against Debo Samuel? Ooh. Coming off, um, you know, a career a career game, nine catches, 189 yards, and that long touchdown, I think. Uh, Debo Samuel, you know, based on what we saw from training camp and certainly what we saw in week one, has a chance to really elevate his game. Um, become a much more versatile receiver than somebody who's just sort of used in, um, you know, on those jet sweep running plays that he was that he was mostly limited to last year, I think largely because of injury, because, you know, he didn't practice all that much last year. So it looks like his game has evolved um, and and he's much more of a downfield threat uh, and and he's just much more versatile in, in, in what he can do. Uh, from you know what how you can use him from a schematic perspective so I think the 49ers winning on Sunday would probably take another big game from Debo Samuel I think George Kittle should should make hay against the the Eagles linebackers who aren't great Um, and and that's going to be another one to watch and maybe one the 49ers can exploit but in terms of talent on talent for me it's Darius Slay and Debo Samuel and uh, I mean you could also look at you know Brandon Graham against the 49ers tackles right Mike McGlinchey and um and Trent Williams and sweat against Williams and McGlinchey like they, the the Eagles are going to be able to get after the passer but it, just in terms of um a matchup that I think could be really fun I think it's Darius Slay and Debo Samuel matching That's up on the outside fun one I like that one a lot it's going to be fun to see the 49ers inside outside kind of combination with Debo Samuel and George Kittle uh and how the Eagles try to defend uh, what the 49ers have going on there. With that, Chris Biederman, we appreciate you stopping by the pod. That was very in-depth. I didn't even know we were going to chat this long. I could probably go on for hours, but I know you got to get out of here. But appreciate you stopping by. Let's get you back on sometime this season. And maybe at that point, who knows? Maybe it's by that trade deadline. Maybe we could be talking about maybe some new faces that come to the 49ers, or that could be departing. You never know, but I'm interested to talk about it. Absolutely. Thank you for having me and uh, yeah, appreciate you. Yep. Chat soon.